Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Business Class spoke with Sydney Rittenberg, noted business consultant and expert on China. This extended conversation ranged from his time in contact with the top layer of the Communist Party to his work, which includes bringing intel to China. In part one, Sydney talks about holding two very different positions in China, one as Mao's translator and one as Mao's political prisoner. First, Sydney talks about power. Well, there are all different sorts of power. Some people think primarily of the power to control other people, get other people to do what you want them to do. Others think primarily about the power to manage your own mind and your own behavior so that you can get the initiative in moving towards your goals. So there are all different kinds of takes on power. It's, it's like use it or lose it in English. Almost exactly, that's a Confucian saying from, from 6th century B.C. Use it or lose it. Also, uh, you reap what you sow. Literally, you plant melons, you get melons. You plant beans, you get beans. <laughs> There's a Chinese saying for anything under the sun. There are different uh, takes on power. If, if you read War and Peace, Tolstoy's War and Peace, as, as everybody should, if you, get, if you have the time, you see the portrait of this uh, Russian commanding general, Kuznetsov, who applies his power by really doing absolutely nothing but empowering his subordinate generals to do their thing, to apply their power. So he enables their power, and in so doing, accomplishes what uh, a good Taoist would call doing everything by doing nothing. On the bad side, the use of power exemplified, for example, in China in the Cultural Revolution, when there were an enormous number of individual power centers. Every gang that could control power in their factory, school, office, institution, or whatever, would exercise dictatorship over everyone who didn't agree with them. So that was an application of power that ended in anarchy, ended in a situation in which no one really had power except the army, which Mao eventually sent in to take over. Well, I think as far as our government is concerned, <laughs> we have great potential power, which we seem completely unable to apply. We have a Congress, which is perhaps in American history, has the least accomplishment to its credit, of any previous Congress. And uh, one reason is that the people that control power seem more dedicated to opposing and defeating the other side than they have in applying power to resolve our national issues. 
So we really are in a position of controlling great power, but actually being powerless. Turning points come in life and business. We asked Sidney to describe the moment he went from being trusted by Mao's government to the moment he was arrested. No, it, it, was, it was a lightning strike, absolutely lightning. <clears throat> I was being 1949, February 49, I'm being taken by a very high-ranking person to Beijing, which is just in the process of uh, being handed over to the communists, and I'm going to be the liaison between my government, Washington, and the new Chinese regime, and I am on top of the world. I am making history. And uh, suddenly we discover that in the little jeep, they forgot to bring the thermos jug of tea. So they have to turn back, cross the river, and stop at a little village that I'd never been in, and go inside to fetch the tea. And then the young man who was the assistant and the driver comes out and says, Comrade so-and-so is delayed for a minute. Come in and have some tea inside. So I went inside, and all of a sudden, bang! We've been instructed to arrest you. You have come on behalf of U.S. imperialism to sabotage the Chinese Revolution. Me? So the room literally spun around in circles, and I saw stars, different colors. And I could feel something in my head go like, like this, like it was something jerked. So that's the way it happened. You don't want to have that experience. Well, the thing is, I used to sit there and think, these people failed to get, and this was later during the Cultural Revolution, I was arrested the second time, so they have now been in power for 17, 18 years. And not only I am arrested, but the president of the republic, Mao's anointed successor, is all of a sudden hurled down from the seats of power and hounded to death, really. But I didn't know he was dead yet. But I used to sit there and think they don't get one very important point, and that is if the law doesn't, isn't secure for everybody, it's not secure for anybody. You can be the number two guy in this whole enormous country, but you can be overthrown overnight you have absolutely no recourse to appeal or to argue or to anything. You're, you're, you're gone. As powerful as they were, nobody was really ultimately secure. Whereas the smallest individual in a well-administered democracy is protected by law against the president, as long as it works. It's like we heard Colin Powell say a couple of years ago, he's a wonderful speaker, about the experience of leaving government. He says, one day you have a private plane and a limousine and courted everywhere. The next day, you're nothing. <laughs> Sydney spent over a decade in Chinese prison, much of the time in solitary. He talked about what astonished him. My wife is the most astonishing thing I know, you know. <laughs>
Here's a young Chinese woman, grew up in party from a, from a worker's family, marries this foreigner, who's now in the Cultural Revolution, now in prison as an imperialist spy, infamous all over China, everybody knows. Now, during the Cultural Revolution, maximum anti-foreign feeling, and what smart people did was, for God's sake, you pretend you're cooperating with the authorities. You don't say anything that will hurt your spouse or child or parent, but you say something that shows you're trying to help. And she couldn't do that. She kept saying and writing letters to John Lyons so and say, my husband is a good man, you're wrong. She was beaten, you know, taken to the hospital. She was given very hard labor that nobody else had. <laughs> and it left some permanent problems. And for years, in labor camp, she never gave in. Jesus, I don't know where that comes from. I can't even talk about it. <laughs> but that, that is astonishing to me. We asked Sydney to describe the current Communist Party. China is communist in the sense that there is an organization called Communist Party, which runs everything in China which is the party in power. It's the only party that could be in power at this point. Um, but only the name relates it to the old Communist Party that made the revolution. It's a totally different party. And they, they will make no bones in, in admitting that if you talk to them. It's a totally different party. Uh, they formally announced several years ago that this is no longer a revolutionary party. It's the party in power, period. So as far as uh, principles of Marxist economics are concerned, not to be found. As we like to tell our Chinese friends when we go there, we have more socialism in this country by far than they have. Uh, for example, my students at PLU, almost 100% are in some kind of volunteer work. And that's normal in American universities. In China, student volunteers are a new thing. They really just started with the Sichuan earthquake a number of years ago. And it's, it's a new and growing thing, but it's not a general thing, you know. What, you work and you don't make money? Silly. Um, so, uh, so communism is just a name. The economy is primarily a capitalist economy. You, you put an investment, you make a profit, you distribute some of it, you plow the rest of it back. You know, the business is just like we do. There's still a state-owned sector, which is very big, which is state capitalism. But starting last year, they are opening that to foreign investment. So the intention of the new leaders is to greatly expand the role of the free market, of the law of supply and demand, 
in allocating resources, setting interest rates, and so on. Get the government out of business completely and convert it from a, from a managing government to a service government. That's what they aim to do, huge resistance from the bureaucrats who make lots of money by being managers. But You know, the Chinese used to tell this story about Khrushchev, and now the joke's on them. Khrushchev brought his mother down to his dacha at Sochi, and uh, she's at the dinner table with six kinds of caviar and hot and cold running waiters and so on, great luxury. And the old lady sitting there sighing and looking very forlorn. And Khrushchev says, what's the matter, Mama? She says, I'm just thinking, suppose the goddamn communists come back. <laughs> business class. Expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite. Coming up in part two of the conversation, Sydney describes moving from being a political prisoner to returning as a trusted business consultant 